0: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Ollie is no longer at the wheel, the title race tightens up, the Gerrard era has begun and Conte is up and running at Spurs. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. So after three years of constantly talking about how Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was not the man for the job at Old Trafford, he now no, long, no longer has a job at Old Trafford. <laughs> how does it feel, Alex?
1: Um, I mean, it was coming, wasn't it? It was... Um... I don't know. It just, for me, this, I mean, it was bad, but this wasn't as bad as the Liverpool feat. It maybe wasn't even as bad as the Derby performance. But I think, as Jamie Carragher said on Sky on Saturday evening, you can't concede four goals to Watford and keep your job. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, as soon as, I think I read this morning on The Athletic that apparently Solskjaer knew at half time against Watford. So, yeah, you could just. See it coming and as soon as those two late goals went in, it was uh it was curtains early on there.
0: Yeah, that athletic piece was very fascinating. I read it before I came on as well. I loved how George Mendes was apparently on the phone to the club straight at full time <laughs> yeah. saying, Have you have you have you thought about the manager's position recently? <laughs> yeah. What a snake, eh? Um but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm quite sad to see Ali go, actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that little guy. I <laughs> I uh, I saw his emotional interview and 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 got a little bit uh a little bit choked up myself but you know he's got a seven, £7.5 million payout yeah so, I think he'll go,
1: over
0: it yeah. yeah being a football manager is just the best job in the world isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we're of course talking about the game at Vicarage Road this weekend where Watford beat Manchester United 4-1 uh, a match which did cost Solsha his job at United yeah Matt I got, I got the sense while watching this game that it, it could finally be the one that cost Solskjaer his job we've seen lots of bad performances under uh, under him recently Alex mentioned the Liverpool one the City one recently but this one felt different um, I mean there have been lots of talk that he would get until the end of the season regardless but do you feel like this was United's rock bottom
2: yeah absolutely like I just said you can't just go and ship four to what offered. like it, it the other defeats you can sort of you point to the fact that Klopp and Liverpool and that Peppermann City are far better teams and you can it doesn't excuse the performance but you can hold your hands up at some point and say you know what those sides are brilliant those are title winning teams those are Champions League challenging teams but in the case of Watford, it's just not the case. Mm. Like, you're going to see them getting turned over quite easily by other teams throughout the rest of the season. So, to be on the back end, I really... My one my one thought was, does Oli get sacked if it's 2-1 and they don't concede those two <laughs> yeah. goals? Like, it just doesn't... Ugh, it doesn't look as bad. But yeah, when you put... When you put four next to Watford's name, it really... It really does look kind of embarrassing. And I think the club the club knew they had to react in some way. You just absolutely can't sit there and say nothing. Let Oli come out. Let the players do their obligatory Instagram. We must do better post. (laughs) You know, you got to do something eventually. And yeah, the, the breaking point for me was, was probably a few weeks ago after the Liverpool game, but Obviously, they've just waited for whatever reason. It yeah. doesn't really seem like they do have a
0: plan. Waited over an international break before making a change yeah. as well, which was a bit Very baffling, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alex, do you think those two late goals might have been the final nails in the coffin? Because, I mean, the, the the athletic piece says that if they'd come back and, and drawn the game, then that might have saved Solskjaer's bacon. And, I mean, there was a point in the game when van der Beek pulls one back and you think, oh, here we go, it's going to be another one of those where they come from behind and win 3-2 in dramatic fashion. But those last two goals, I mean, I, th- I thought yeah. they defended on that... I think the third or fourth one, I can't remember, maybe both of them actually, was just pathetic, wasn't it really?
1: I think, yeah, I, th- I think it was just, it was as embarrassing as it was bad, you know, and I just think, I don't know, it was just, that, that was sort of the reason why he had to go really, but I th- it's just totally indicative to me, like we just said that, of how badly run the club is, that they had a two-week international break, Break where they could have moved for a new manager and instead decided to do it the very next match afterwards. I think it's just, it's like astonishing negligence, really, from the club. I just, I I know it's been said a million times, but. Solskjaer was not a great manager, but you know, the root of the problem is is a lot deeper than that. And mm-hmm. I think, and actually another thing, and like a side note to that, I think another reason for their a big that reason for his downfall this season is their complete lack of penalties, which uh, which I was reading mm-hmm. about last night. They've had one so far this season and missed it. Whereas last season they had seventeen penalties, and the season before that they had twenty two. So you can sort of see this um, the sort of overarching theme there is the penalties were saving Manchester United. They weren't getting them this season. That's the reason they haven't been winning games mm. as well as them being a terrible team.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Matt, that uh, Solskjaer's managerial legacy will be at United now? I've seen a lot of people um, saying that he, he, he left the club in a better state than when he arrived. That was kind of something that he touched upon in his, his exit interview as well. Do, do you agree with that?
2: Oh, I mean, look, when he came in, they had previously won a few trophies under Mourinho. And now they're absolutely nowhere near winning any trophies. Mm. So I'm not necessarily sure I'd agree with that, to be honest. Um, I think if his job was to come in and sort of uh, stabilise the club at the time, right, uh, after after Mourinho had left them, fine, do that job. But in terms of progressing them, they haven't progressed. So I'm not really sure he can really claim to leave a managerial legacy um, or, or leave them in a better state because they've just fallen so, so far. Uh, they just keep on sort of heading in that direction that i don't really think i'm trying to think of one area in which they are better
0: yeah yeah,
2: is, is non-existent.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the, the sort of school of thought is that it's a happier club, isn't it? That it's a that the, the fans believe again. But I mean, I was listening to uh, some fans on Twitter Spaces after the game on Saturday night. I'm not sure they believe again. <laughs> uh, you know, there's yeah. pe- people ranting and raving. this 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 protests being held held against the owners. I mean, that's a separate issue, of course. But it, it's not a harmonious club that he's left behind, is it? It's it's kind of the same situation that they were in when when he took over from, from Mourinho, really. So I'm not sure whether they have progressed or, or regressed or what. It just seems a bit of a... A a case of them being in the same position. I mean, I I wonder if that Europa League final was, was a real kind of turning point for Solskjaer last season. If he'd, if he'd won that game, maybe that, maybe Mm -hmm. things might have been different this season and and things might have been looked on in in a a slightly different light. Um, I mean, I've seen many people suggested this weekend as well, Alex, well, well, all season actually, that that Cristiano Ronaldo was signing him was kind of the beginning of the end for Solskjaer. Do do you agree with that? Did he kind of make a rod for his own back with that signing?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that was, I, yeah, I mean possibly, but I, again, it's just it's just indicative of how the club is run and sort of where they are as a Premier League club. You know, they they spent the best part of two years trying to get Jaden Sancho, spent nearly ninety million on getting him from Borussia Dortmund, and then. I think it was about two and a half weeks later, they, they signed an undroppable droppable 36-year-old in his position, um, which means that he's basically been on the bench for the entire season. I, I mean, I know it's sort of being wise after the event, but even at the time, people were sort of wondering why they were signing Ronaldo. I think, you know, that the high point of that first game at Newcastle was sort of masked everything that's come since, really. Mm. I, yeah, it's just... I don't know, it was sort of put in an p- impossible position, really, for Solskjaer. And I know it's easy to blame the owners, but and they are taking a lot of money out of the club, but they have spent a lot of money as well. So, you know, it's not like he's. Been given no money to work with, so i they've been given, He's been given a lot of money. They've got the highest wage bill in the world, I think. So, um, yeah, it was. It really was time for him to go. Wasn't it?
0: Yeah, he spent about half a billion on, on players yeah. during his time there. Yeah. I, I do think with the the Ronaldo signing that it was going to be one of those that was always going to sort of raise standards at the club. That you know Ronaldo yeah. isn't isn't going to settle for second best. Is he? He's going to kick up a fuss if things aren't going well. And, and by all accounts, that is what's happened. Bruno Fernandez yeah. reportedly also was has kind of lost faith. In, in, in Solskjaer in recent weeks. So, yeah, I felt like kind of the, the writing was on the wall for him when, when they made that, that signing, really. Uh, the man in charge now is Michael Carrick in temporary charge. The club say they will then appoint a different interim manager until the end of the season and then a permanent manager in the summer. Does that suggest to you that they've kind of acted now and will we'll do the thinking later, Matt?
2: But they've had time to do their thinking. <laughs> I don't understand why. We, we already just touched on it. Even before the international break, I don't understand why now and how this interim manager is expected to work, because you're going to ask somebody, whoever it may be, right, to take the job, knowing that they're not going to have a job come June, right, or yeah. July, when a quote-unquote proper full-time manager comes in. And I think they're going to be in the left, in the same position as they were with Ollie. Right, when Oli came in, and he, I think they won away at PSG, didn't they, in the Champions mm. League? Yeah. And they did well, right, you'd think, Oh, you know what, Ollie was a bit of an interim, but but he's done well, maybe he deserves a crack at the job full-time. What happens if this interim comes in and wins the Champions League? Yeah. Then what? And then at the time when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was given a new contract, if they'd have said, you know, you've been a good interim, Ollie, thanks for the PSG win, thanks for this, that and the other... But now we're going to get a real manager. You probably would have had people say, oh, that's a bit harsh. I think Ollie's deserved a fair crack at it, considering what he's done. So they've completely shot themselves in the foot now to the point where they're, they're, they're trying to hire someone who's going to be good enough, a manager, to get the players on board, to be trusted with whatever money they may or may not have in January to spend, only to then, you know, put everything out of place again and change it all in the summer. i really you know you're looking at Solskjaer Carrick and interim a new new manager it's going to be four managers in the space in nine months Mm. yeah I really I really don't think they've thought this one through unless someone's available now like Zidane but apparently he won't be coaxed into anything until the end of the season yeah
0: I can't help but feel with United that they are heavily swayed by kind of public media fan pressure. Oh God,
2: it's the yeah.
1: fan sentiment graph. Yeah, that's what
0: it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you, you remember after that PSG game, I remember Gary Neville in particular banging the drum for Solskjaer to be given the job permanently, and I remember thinking, what, no. are you, what are you talking about? Like what a stupid idea that would be. And there was kind of an international break, and I think during that international break he was he was really going for it um, every time he was on TV. And then they did appoint him permanently, and it was like, okay, you've just kind of like bowed to bow to. Sentiment, really, and then all that time that he's been at the club, it's been a real up and down. I mean, we've all been guilty of it. We were talking on this on this podcast at times last season. of, has Solskjaer proved his critics wrong, as we all were, we all wrong to doubt him. Now we're in the, in a state where you know they've got to the point where they, they, they've hit rock bottom and they've ha- they've kind of had to sack him because everyone's going crazy. Even though that doesn't really seem to have been part of the plan. Like the, the fact that they don't have a, a successor lined up for him suggests that that isn't part of the plan. So no. I just, I just think they're just they're just such a kind of like flim, they're winging it flimsy club. Yeah, they're just winging it. Yeah, which is which is just insane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: And they've they've, they've the sort of owners and Richard Arnold and Edward have made the Manchester United job unattractive, mm. which is astonishing, isn't it? Really, yeah. like Zidane. You know, Zidane's as far as we're aware has turned the job down. That's amazing. Man, United should be a job that every single manager in the world wants, and that's just not the case. It just yeah. says everything, really.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of which, I mean, if there weren't copyright issues, I would play the succession theme tune over this question. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, if, if you were in charge at Old Trafford, who would you appoint as the next? Well, who would you appoint as the interim manager and then the next well, permanent manager? Uh,
1: that's a tough one, because... You then can you persuade a really top manager to come in for six months? That's Steve you know, Bruce, Steve Bruce is Steve there? Steve Bruce, yeah, oh, Barclays no. machine working overtime <laughs> this morning with that one. Um, well, Ralph Ranyuk is available. Um, is he though? Um, is it, well, he's,
0: he's only just gone to Locomotive Moscow, hasn't he?
1: No, no, he's left. He left that job I think recently. So yeah, yeah. So he is available, but I'm not sure. I don't know he would, whether he would accept that sort of offer for six months. I said to you last night, Dan, could they tempt Arsene Beller in <laughs> for six months? I'd, I've taken the FIFA money, so I don't see any reason why he wouldn't take the money not in job as well for, for, for until the summer. Um, and then I was thinking maybe someone like Ernesto Valverde, but then whether a lack of English could be an issue, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I'd, I mean, they want Pochettino, don't they? That seems like the person. And if he's available in the summer, then he's available in the summer, but I don't know. I'm, so, I'm thinking Arsene Wenger into the summer. I
0: really, am. <laughs> that would be incredible. I think he has been offered the job at, at some juncture before now, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's I not see, like yeah.
1: You know. There was an interview with um, Ian Wright I saw on YouTube uh, yesterday or the day before, and he you know he went through all the clubs that he'd been offered a job at, and it was you know Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich, and he did mention Man United as well. So yeah, who knows?
0: Yeah, Brendan Rodgers. I don't think he'd yeah, be. I don't know. Time.
1: I feel like his sort of. Leicester have been pretty poor recently, haven't they? And mm. like we said, Manchester United are so sort of they go with what's hot at the moment and what isn't. I don't know. I just think, and maybe Rodgers, is sort of star is
2: waning a little bit, and they wouldn't go for him. I don't know. Mm.
0: You must be uh, particularly smug that Spurs managed to get Conte uh, before all this kicked off, eh, Matt?
2: Yeah, this is what I don't understand as well. If they knew he was available, why would you wait? Mm. Why would they hang around and not bring Conte? But yeah, I'm glad they did. Because um, I'm feeling very smug this morning. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, let's give some credit to Watford, though, who were excellent in this game, I thought. Um, Matt, does it look to you like Claudio Ranieri's got them moving in the right direction now? And, and has their kind of hire and fire and policy been vindicated somewhat by that?
2: Uh, potentially. I just felt the hire and fire in the past, they always brought in someone a bit unproven. mm Someone a bit, not someone who you'd really expect. And I think Ranieri's quite a safe bet in that regard in terms of his experience in the Premier League. Um, And I think putting these results together, if you couple it with that big win they had away at Everton as well, I feel like these are the sort of spurts in the season that will save Watford from relegation. I don't expect them to be consistently good over the rest of the campaign. But I think if you can take these big wins and take a bit of a confidence and even a sort of two or three game winning streak or unbeaten run would help Watford. You know, they're going to lose games. They don't have the strongest squad or the strongest even starting eleven in the Premier League. But if they can have these performances every so often and go on a run of four or five points, you know, every sort of six, seven games or so, I think they'll be all right. But I'm not sure, again, if I was saying this about Leicester before they won the league title... Maybe I'm saying it about Watford again, but it it would be difficult to see Ranieri really have a huge impact in the in the long term with the Watford team because I think they are quite far behind. Um, especially, and I think the one problem they'll face is that their better players will be picked off. Mm. That's the issue.
0: Yeah. Well, they're out of the relegation zone now anyway, so uh, things are looking looking quite promising for them. Uh, moving on to Anfield now, where Arsenal's 10-match unbeaten run came to a shuddering halt with a 4-0 defeat to Liverpool. I think it's fair to say Arsenal have, have made a lot of progress since the start of the season, but Alex, does the, does the manner of their collapse here suggest Mikel Arteta still has a lot of work to do?
1: um i'm not sure about that it's a bad result but um obviously the the mitigating cir- circumstances here are so obvious that i i don't know i really wouldn't be too concerned if i was an Arsenal fan um liverpool were, were miles better before the game and they stayed that way after it you know i think mm. the trick now for arteta is just getting those players back up and focused because they've got uh newcastle this weekend and then they've got Man United four days after that, and I think that's the real test in my eyes. They're the they're the games that Arsenal need to be winning. I think going to Liverpool was a bit of a free hit. I, don't know, they, I thought they played well in the first half. Obviously Ramsdale played really well and, and made a lot of good saves, but. I think we all knew that Liverpool were miles better than Arsenal, and this this game didn't sort of change that. I, yeah, this like I said, it was a bit of a free hit, really. So I wouldn't worry too much if I was in Arsenal.
0: Player. Yeah, I think maybe if they'd lost two 0 you might have said, "Fair enough, not not bad." Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that, the, the, those two late goals were a bit bit sloppy, really. Uh, conversely, yeah. though, Matt, did Liverpool's performance here dispel any doubts you might have had about them after that defeat to to West Ham before the international break? They looked like they're sort of cooking on gas again. to so you know,
2: um, yeah, I don't think there was many doubts. I think I think West Ham are just a very good team, despite their loss. It was always going to be a tough game, and I don't think Liverpool will be the only ones to struggle when going to West Ham. Yeah. But this did look very much sort of prime Liverpool of old. Um, and I just think there would be a real... There'd be something seriously wrong for, for Klopp to change his style or his system or the way that Liverpool play. So they're going to have results every so often where they lose, like the West Ham game. But for the majority, they're going to play like they did with results like they did against Arsenal. And yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. There needs to be a massive inquest into the West Ham defeat or conversely for Arteta either, because mm. anyone who's watched any Arsenal trip to Anfield in the last five or six <laughs> years will know they just get absolutely slapped silly, like regardless <laughs> of what they do. So yeah, I, I I think it was, if for some reason it seemed to give a given that yeah. Liverpool were going to do that, but yeah, it was back to sort of regular Liverpool. I don't think I don't think Klopp's the kind of guy to completely panic after one loss.
0: Well, Arsenal are usually four nil down at half time at Anfield, aren't Yeah, exactly. So it's so only one nil down this time, I suppose, with his progress. Uh we we were praising Nuno Tavares on the last podcast. That was a pretty silly mistake on Liverpool's second goal, wasn't it, Alex? Do you think there's there's just a bit too much youthful naivety in that team at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't play a blind pass across your box against anyone, let alone one of the best attacks in Europe. I don't know, but I think that mistake was made to look very bad by that brilliant job finish. I think, yeah. You know, he's, he's probably one of the best in terms of like one-on-one, you go in one-on-one as a He's probably one of the best in the league, Um, and I don't don't think he really gets the praise he deserves, to be honest, being next to Salah, so yeah, it was a a bad mistake, but it was made to look even worse, by yeah, really, really cool, really nice finish.
0: Yeah, it was lovely, that. Georgie Kinclazi-esque, you might say. Uh, (laughs) uh, I was going to ask you about Jota, actually, Matt, I mean, Firmino's been in good form for Liverpool this season, but do you reckon you would have Jota over him in Liverpool's best forward line at the moment?
2: Oh, God. At the moment, yeah, I think so. It's been really tough, though. I would not mm. like to be in that position to pick between the two of them because Firmino does his job so well. Um, and I think Jota's capable sort of in different areas. Of the it's a slightly different well. job, is it, that he does? Yeah. He's
1: sort of, Jota's sort of like shoulder of the last man, stretching defenders, whereas Firmino sort of, you know, drops in a little bit more. Mm. But yeah, they they're both, they're both offer a different thing. Don't they? Yeah. I,
2: I think it might depend sometimes on what the midfielders behind them are offering. If you've got someone who's willing to go beyond or someone who can pick a pass out to a through ball, then Jota might be better. But if the midfield isn't necessarily so creative or getting forward, you might need Firmino to drop in. Um, So yeah, maybe it depends, but I guess both are such a good option to have. Yeah,
0: well Klopp was uh, complaining after the game about there being some tournament in Africa coming up in January that he's uh, not not too happy about. So, uh, I mean obviously he's going to lose uh, two of his big players to that but he uh, he has got some options to play with and i suppose the lesson hmm. to take away from this game is that if you go to anfield don't pick a fight with klopp on the touchline because it's not going to end <laughs> well for you is it i think the, the crowd really got on on the on, got got behind liverpool after that and uh, and arsenal Uh, Didn't have much chance after that. Uh, Another title contender who had a very good result this weekend was Chelsea, who won 3-0 at Leicester in Saturday's early kick-off. This was one of those beautiful kind of machine-like performances from Chelsea. Um, Alex, would you fancy them to dismantle any team in Europe when they're in that sort of mood?
1: Uh, It's hard to argue against that, to be honest. I think if you look around Europe at the moment, there's probably four teams who are on a sort of different level than everyone else. I think that's Bayern, Man City, Liverpool, and then Chelsea. And yeah, like you said, Dan, like this was completely machine-like. They hardly broke a sweat. Um, I looked at the stats yesterday, and they had almost double the amount of passes than Leicester had in the game. Um, they reduced Leicester to just three shots on target. Um, it was just a very well-managed performance, and doing that away from home against obviously Leicester aren't on the best form at the moment. But you know, they're a good side and they just made it look so so easy and, and that's a testament to what Tom Stupel has done with this team they, just, yeah, they look so so good at them.
0: Mm. no Lukaku or Werner here but they've now had 15 different scorers in the Premier League this season which is more than any other team do you think they've possibly got the best squad depth in the league Matt
2: oh yeah you'd think so after that after <laughs> after having goal scoring full backs as well so they're not even having um, they're not even having to rely on just changing in the striker and him scoring. I think they have such a good squad depth, and I think they're really. This is an example of a team really, really buying into a manager's style of play. And I think that the, the kind of the ideas he's managed to get across. And I know he's already run the Champions League, but he hasn't even been there a year. Mm. We're talking, what is it, ten months, eleven months? Yeah, I think so. And it just it's crazy to, to kind, that, yeah. yeah, and and to think that. Some of the squad depth hasn't arisen from signings is what makes it more amazing. If, you know, Antonio Rudiger coming in and being brilliant, he was someone who wasn't really getting a look in under Lampard and suddenly having a good player like him means that the rest of the squad is also quality, are also on their toes, you know, giving Loftus-Cheek a bit more freedom and him putting in some good performances. He's bringing up squad depth of players that could have been sold, could have been dead wood under a previous manager. So I think this is, you know... Massive credit to him. The same thing with Marcus Alonso. So I think, yeah, this, it, it's astonishing how well they've bought into his ideas. Yeah. And like you say, if they don't have strikers scoring and they can score from wherever else, it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah. Trevor Chalaber's playing really well as well, isn't he? Um... Yeah, exactly. Lovely t- lovely uh goal from Kante. Really took that well, didn't he? Oh yeah. Look- looked like it hadn't gone in actually in the-, the first viewing of that goal. It was kind of a kind of a strange one the way it went into the corner, but uh mm. yeah, lovely, lovely goal. Um another player who uh is-, is playing really well at the moment is Thiago Silva. He put in a masterful performance here. He's thirty seven, Alex. Does it surprise you that he's still going strong <laughs> at that ripe old age?
1: Yeah, I I mean I have to say, like his move to Chelsea and like how well he's done in the past eighteen months has been like one of the biggest surprises I can remember. Really, I, like back when he joined, I remember thinking, coming from Liga, and I didn't really expect him to adapt to English football mm. like that. Well, obviously, he knew he was a good player, but you know, at that age, just sort of wondered how he'd adapt to English football. But he's been brilliant, and I mean, like um, that. Like we were saying, uh, I think he he's going to Tupel's idea. Obviously, he had him at PSG, but you can tell that he's just been really well coached by Tuchel. And also it helps being in front of Mendy, um, Mm. who's, you know, just a brilliant goalkeeper and really exudes the sort of confidence that you need from like when you're in in a, in a defense. So yeah, his, his leadership, his reading in the game at centre-back has just been exceptional and, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe offered him another 12 months or something, because he's, he's yeah. that good. So I think his contract yeah is, is due to expire at the end of the season. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they offer him another 12 months in January.
0: Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was his debut last season. They, they drew 3-3 with West Brom. They were 3-0 down away at the Hawthorns. And yes. it was, it was yeah. at fault for at least one of the goals, I remember thinking. Yeah. <laughs> This isn't Liga now, mate. Like you need to you need to be a bit <laughs> sharper than that in the Premier League. But he's he's adapted to it, hasn't he? And he, he, he's yeah, sort of he really it's kind of lack of pace, isn't being exposed. He's in the right positions all the time. He's just lovely footballer to watch. Yeah, really good player. Um, Leicester have now conceded fifteen goals from corner since the start of last season, which is more than any other team. Uh, not great. Do they look like a team, Matt? Who's who's kind of coming to the end of the road with Brendan Rodgers? And if so, what what does that kind of say about him? Do you think?
2: Yeah, but I'm trying to put my finger on why. I don't understand. This is only a few months ago. They were winning the FA Cup against Chelsea and winning the Community Shield against City. I don't know how they've they've got to this point where, you know, I, I agree, it looks like they are coming to an end. It looks like Roger Stock is falling every so often, but I can't really put my finger on it. They've got some really talented players and he wouldn't have changed anything so drastically.
1: Um, Is it too easy to blame the sort of Europa League Thursday to Sunday? I don't know if that is too easy. If that's too much of a convenient reason, but
2: other other teams seem to sort of deal with it. Certainly over the majority of the season, I just can't really. I can't really put my finger on it. To be honest, I'm I'm looking at Leicester's games, and sometimes they put some brilliant performances. And Vardy's, you know, Vardy scored. Is he is he the second highest goal scorer this season? I think. I think so. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I. I'm not quite sure what it is. Maybe I think the the injury to Fafana hasn't helped. Mm. Yeah. Certainly from a defensive point of view, they had big injuries to um, Justin last season and, and Ricardo Pereira before that as well. But I think I think they got some pretty good players. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe they're in. I, I always feel like with Leicester, they're in one of these positions, um, and Tottenham are, are in the same position as well. Is that? The club will want to continue improving and the second they don't, you'll have players who know they can get a move and get mm. get cold feet. There's lots of talk about Madison going to Arsenal. You know, the, the rest of the team would have seen players like Kante win and leave. Danny Drinkwater yeah. won some of that and left. Um, Harry Maguire. There's so many players who I think if the team isn't doing well, they instantly know they might be able to get a move and I'm not sure that helps either. Um, so yeah, I, that's the only sort of thing I can think of is that there might be one eye on a couple of transfers for their players. I mean, there's talk about Fafana leaving anyway, and he's injured.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. Actually, there are, there are there are teams like that. You see them like you know, uh, reminds me of like Monaco winning Liga a few years ago and just getting asset stripped <laughs> the following that's summer. what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> like play... they just get dismantled after like one year. The unfortunately stepping stone clubs to the sort of big six clubs or whatever aren't they it's it's a bit of a shame that's the thing
2: it's a real shame that they can go on prove to these players like stick with us you can win FA Cups you can win Community Shields you can challenge for the top four but There'll always be a stepping stone club, and um, I
0: think, yeah, Leicester can't afford to pay the big wages, can they? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, exactly, yeah, bit of a shame for them. Uh, Manchester City also kept things tight at the top with a 3 0 win over Everton on Sunday. Uh, which was the best goal in this game for you, Alex? Was it Cancelo's pass to Sterling or, or Rodri's rocket?
1: <laughs> uh... Both excellent, but yeah, Sterling's for me. Um, yeah, Rodgers was superb, but yeah, that Cancelo pass was just it's assist of the season, isn't it? it? was so, <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to overlook Sterling's finish either
0: as well. Yeah, actually. that, that made really, the goal really. really yeah, brilliant, yeah,
1: really smart run from him and then to sort of hit that on the half volley as it's coming over your shoulder, you know, left shoulder with your right foot. That's not an easy thing to do, so yeah, it was a lovely goal, and it was yeah, it was a bit like Chelsea at Leicester. It was just a very easy win, wasn't it? Very hardly broke a sweat. I thought yeah. yeah, City looked City looked excellent here. But, Total um, control. Yeah, Sterling yeah. for me, it was yeah, superb.
0: Just the seventy-eight percent possession for City in this game. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a question I saw posed on Twitter uh, during the game: Who's the better fullback at the moment, Cancelo or Alexander Arnold? Oh, they are, they are playing different sides, but you know. Yeah,
1: not I. Personally, I'd go for Alexander-Arnold, um, but it's very close. But yeah, Cancelo's sort of... Him and Gundogan are the two most important players for Man City at the moment. I mm. Maybe you disagree with but I think that No, that's
0: true. And Bernardo just, Silva as well. Yeah,
1: Bernardo Silva's a really good yeah. And Rodri, actually. And yeah, Cancelo just offers so much on the left-hand side, doesn't he? It's sort of integral to the way they play, so... And to do that, yeah, just just
2: such a good good assist. It was, um, yeah, it was superb. But uh, yeah, I like Alexander I think, on a bit more. But yeah, he's playing I think Rhys well. James might
0: have something to say about that. <laughs> true, yeah, yeah, well. yeah, true, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty uh, strong season for fullbacks in the Premier League, isn't yeah, it? Actually, absolutely. yeah. Uh, Cole Palmer made his first Premier League start for City. Here, have you seen much of him, Matt? And have you been impressed by what you've seen? If so,
2: um, yeah, I've, I've seen the fleeting bits of his couple of. Um, Uh, Premier League appearance, obviously he grabbed that goal in the Champions League, didn't he? Mm. Um, Against Bruges. I think he's really, really... He strikes me as a Man City Pep Guardiola player. Looks very, very clever uh, with his touches sort of in and around the box. Um, I quite like as well that he's quite a big lad. I think it was really, about six foot two or Mm. or so. And really that that kind of adds a different dimension to, to his game as well. I think the only problem i have and i think we've spoken about before and it always happens in this territory of the biggest clubs like chelsea and manchester city is that how many times are young players given the opportunities ahead of signing a brand new superstar Mm. so i think you know palmer being given the opportunity is fantastic but if city go and you know sign harland or kane does it just relegate him again to the youth teams or to a to a bit part player yeah um and i think that could be the shame but i i really i like what he brings to the table um i just wonder outside of manchester city does he really does he really have the ability to kind of forge a career elsewhere yeah. like is really have to think about that just for now <laughs> but you know what i mean when someone is so specifically pep yeah when someone is so true, specifically yeah. brought up in this man city system do they thrive elsewhere that doesn't play that kind of football? I don't really know. But from what I've seen, yeah, it looks like a really good talent. Yeah. I actually saw C. Palmer and I thought, have they bought Carlton Palmer out of the it would have been astonishing, but
0: no, it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, the thing I like about him is he, he's, um, he doesn't look overawed or out of place in the team. He didn't mm-hmm. do anything particularly spectacular yesterday, but he just looks like he belongs there. Yeah. And for a 19-year-old making his first Premier League start, that's really impressive, I think. Uh, you know, to come into one of the best teams in the world and play false nine and yeah, not exactly. break, not not look like you know, it's a problem for you, is, is really interesting. Um, he's also from Withenshaw where I'm from, so I'm now only the second most famous person from Withingshaw, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's a good player. Another lad called James McAtee came off the bench yesterday. Who's yes, like a yeah. sort of David Silver clone. Um, he, he looks quite good as well. So uh, it, it's interesting with City because they had Foden ph- come through a few years ago. And there was such clamour among the fans and the media for him to be a thing. And for, for, and, and City had to make sure that there was a pathway into the first team for him. And now they've got these other young players and it's like, well, how do we fit these into the team as well? It's, uh, like you say, Matt, are they going to, are they going to go out and spend money on a, on a playmaker again? If, if someone like Riyad Mahrez was to leave or, or would they, mm. would they create a space for Cole Palmer to play? It's going to be one to keep an eye on. But it, but it is, it is amazing how. City have been working over the last five or six years from sort of youth level up to get all these players playing in the same way. All the, all the youth teams play the same way, they all play this kind of guardiola style of football. And then when they yeah. do get to this level they are ready to just slot into the team. But yeah, I do think you make an interesting point as well that when they go elsewhere, if they have to go to Rochdale alone, can they? Can they play in league two? It's Yeah. That's uh, the thing. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, looking looking pretty promising City's academy at the moment. Uh, it's not looking very promising for Everton though. That's six Premier League games without a win for Everton now. Uh, Demare Gray was added to their injury list when he went off in this game. Alex, do you think Benitez has been tell, uh, dealt a, a tough hand with these injuries or, or should they still be performing a bit better for you?
1: Um, I think they've been unlucky, to be honest. And, uh, and the injuries that they have got have been to sort of really key players in key positions as well. Yerry um, Mina, Decore and obviously Calvert-Lewin have just sort of totally ham- hamstrung them after a good start. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, they're just key players in key positions, so that's, that's tough for them. And I actually read last week that um, Benitez sacked their head of the medical department down oh, really? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if... So it, Benitez is obviously like you know worried that they are getting key injuries to key players. So It's going to be interesting to see if that has any consequences in the sort of next few weeks and months. But mm. yeah, it was a it was a good start for them. And I thought, oh, actually, Benitez might work out there. But yeah, it's going to I don't know. Now the sort of Benitez turns of <laughs> six defeats in a row. I don't think that's going to be a very pretty place over Christmas. to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was there was a lack of like planning in that game for for me yesterday really it was like the, the plan was kind of to, to play on the counter-attack but there was nothing after that it was like well we'll just yeah. sit deep and try and hit them on the break but we've got no, no outlet on the break like Grey went off and, and Alex Iwobi came on and, and just kept losing the ball and Richarlison was nowhere to be seen really I think you know with a with a with Dominic Calvert Lewin up front, they will be a much more dangerous they need him team. Back desperately, yeah, don't they? You and can that sort of
1: see that he is their focal point. Yeah, yeah they, they desperately need him back. Yeah, and I the the like,
0: core is a massive player for them as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if uh, they improve when they get these players back. Antonio Conte got his first Premier League win as Tottenham manager when they came from behind to beat Le- uh, Leeds on Sunday. You must have been thrilled with that second-half performance from Spurs, Matt. What do you think changed at half-time after what was a pretty lacklustre first half?
2: Uh, I'd like to think Conte gave him a kick up the arse in the Jesse room. <laughs> literally? because Yeah, yeah quite, quite literally. I think there was far more fluidity in the attack uh, um, after time And I think there might have just been a bit more belief um, in Spurs that they can actually go ahead and, and do something. I think we were all talking at halftime you know, uh, about the stat of six halves of football without a shot on target, mm. um, which was just an utter shambles for Tottenham to even be anywhere close to that sort of stat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it r- really changed. I think there was a lot more intensity, especially from Son and Lucas. It didn't always come off what they were trying to do. But those were the two driving forces, um, especially Lucas Moura, who who really sort of changed it, had a hand at both goals, winning the free kick and also giving the assist for Hojbjerg. And yeah, I guess there was a a real sort of... There there must have been, yeah, like a a kick up the arse, but also an acknowledgement that Spurs are far better than what they've put on in the first half. And I think they must have known in themselves that we
0: need to change this around. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest changes you'd say you've noticed in the last couple of weeks under Conte?
2: There seems to be a bit more, a bit more aggression, a bit more belief in some areas. But I still think that there's there's parts of the team that just aren't good enough player-wise, and I think there's going to need to be a massive overhaul of playing staff before we really see what a Conte team is. But certainly there was what there seems sorry, to be. Sorry, a, no. What areas do you think
1: need improvement?
2: Oh, defensively. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, these guys, the, 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 honestly, I, I look at the defense and I think Christian Romero is a great defender. I think he would be a bit rash at times, but certainly at 24 years old, he can grow. The rest of them I'd get rid of. Including the fullbacks full as well? I
1: thought Eric Guy did all right yesterday. But is like
2: Spurs' Maguire. Like, you know, he's got he's got a few yeah. good games in him, but often you just think he makes the odd mistake. I think Dyer can become more solid, but I don't I'm not sure if he's gonna gonna be sort of a resurgent to that top level of, of centre back that I think Romero can be. But the full backs, I'm still not convinced by Royale. Doherty's not convincing anybody, inside <laughs> or outside the club. Um, uh, ben Davis isn't a left-back, a centre-back or a left-wing-back. Um, regular's good though, right? Yeah, Reguilon. He, yeah. He's better going forward than he is defensively, mm. I think. Um, which actually may suit him in this wing-back role yeah, as opposed to being a left-back. But I just think there's so much to improve on in the defensive aspect of Spurs' game. And whilst Conte is known for playing three at the back and being good defensively, he does need the players as well to... To, you know, to, to to really take this Tottenham team to a new level, I think. I mean, look okay. at them. they're all static for the goal. Emerson exactly. Royale was beaten far too easily in the wing-back position by um, uh, Harrison. And the ball comes in, and Daniel James just comes in at the back, and all the Spurs players, it's gone all the way across all of them. Mm. You know, it's just small things like that, you just think, ah, you need to do a bit better. But yeah, I, I, I just, think certainly defensively they need to improve.
1: I think a player like Eric Dyer is going to sort of... Is it works for him when he gets very specific instructions that sort of seems mm. like what he's like as a player and will will just do his job to the, those very specific instructions and i think Conte is that manager and i think the longer that he works with that like defensive unit the better they're going to get yeah. I, I appreciate that they probably do need a slight improvement in that area but i just think it sort of shows you the value of what being a properly coached team is you know you can you could just tell that under Nuno they didn't they didn't really do that the players didn't buy into it they knew he was sort of eighth choice for manager you know so I yeah, think, I don't know they just seem like they already seem like they're buying into Conte and you could just sort of see the scenes at full time yesterday it just I don't know everyone was sort <laughs> of in it together I don't know it just it really feels like It feels different already, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, well, well, I read that they outran leads in the game, which is no mean feat, is it, really? 112k to 108k. Uh, Uh, I mean, that shows what you can achieve when you stop eating ketchup, I suppose, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. All these years I'm sat here eating ketchup.
0: (laughs) I've never never liked ketchup, to be honest with you. I'm a bit weird about that, but yeah... Um... Yeah, you're not in the Premier League. Yeah, the which is just shows <laughs> that just shows how you can slip through the net, I guess. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spurs are now four points off top four. Matt. does that suddenly look, look look like an achievable objective given everyone else is kind of losing their heads?
2: I mean, you've got to say, yeah. With what is it, twenty six games to play and only four yeah. off the top, it can be an achievable objective, and I, I I don't see why not. I mean, it's obviously really early days in the Premier League and in Conte's Conte's reign. Um, But yeah, I feel like there is quite a few slip-ups. The problem, as we spoke about this last time, the problem is there's only one spot to fight for. Mm. I think City, Liverpool and Chelsea are a given in the top four this season. and Those three all battle it out from first to third. Um, So yeah, it really leaves the chasing pack with one spot to fight over. And that's why I think it will be be very, very difficult.
0: Mm. At the moment, I would say Spurs might be my pick for that place. Actually, given given how you know United are United are in turmoil, I don't know if West Ham are going to last a distance. Arsenal, I think, as we said last no. time, aren't really in it, are they? Leicester not looking good for it. So I would say, yeah, probably Antonio Conte Spurs will be my pick. Pr- I,
2: I think the 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 next three games Spurs have got. And no disrespect to these teams, um, Burnley, Norwich, and Brentford. So if you come out of those three games with nine points and so you feel like this dispersed side should and kind of head into the Christmas period a bit stronger, mm. yeah, maybe. I guess well, I think January would be very interesting as well. Because yeah. you know Conte likes his very specific signings for his teams. Mm. So if he can get them in and sort of mould the team a bit better, yeah, well, why not? I'm do you think be it,
0: positive? Do you think he'll have money to spend in January?
2: Yeah, I, I I think that that must have been one of the stipulations in James. guarantee, league. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it must have been. Look, if I'm coming in now, I want it my way. I want my signings or the money I need or this, that, and the other. Because otherwise. I, I'm trying to think what would have changed from mm. his talks in the summer with Levy. Get Masters. me
0: Victor Moses in January. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Moses Kolarov and
2: you know, bring like Zambrotta back or
0: something. Yeah. Cotton uh, Palmer. He's already <laughs> back to the city. <laughs> uh, Leeds are hovering just above the relegation zone with just two wins to their name all season. Uh, do you think they've lost their way a bit under Bielsa, Alex, and, and has his preference for a small squad come back to bite them this season? They had a 15-year-old on the bench yesterday which is yes. never a good sign yeah. is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Although I think we just spoke about it with Everton, but I think it's probably been the unluckiest for the with injury season. That obviously Bamford, Rafinha, Calvin Phillips—they've all missed pretty big chunks of the start of the season, and they—they they really are the heartbeat of this team, aren't they? I, mm. I thought I actually thought Leeds were pretty decent in the first half. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. And they were definitely worth their goal before half time. Um, I thought Phillips was really good in the sort of uh, hybrid midfield sweeper role. He made two really important challenges um, in the first half. But I think he was sort of indicative of what happened to them in the second half. He just totally fell off a cliff. Whether that was because he's coming back from injury and he's not fit, I'm not sure, but yeah, he just fell off a cliff and Leeds did as well. So, um, And then as soon as Spurs got that equaliser, you just you knew that Spurs were going to win the game. You just feel it straight away. So, yeah, I'd, I mean, Bielsa, the only way Leeds would get rid of Bielsa is if Bielsa walks, and I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. And I think the over the course of the season, they are going to be enough to stay in the Premier League, but they're certainly not going to improve on where they finished last season. And in some ways, that Leeds would be are a victim of their own success because they were so good. Um, but yeah, I, just, I mean, if I was a Leeds fan, I wouldn't be worrying too much. They're definitely not one of the worst three sides in the league. So yeah, you know, once maybe they get a few of their, you know, once they get Raphinha back, once they get Banford back, once they get a few more players. Back into the side, then. Yeah, I, I can't foresee too many problems
0: for them, to be honest. Yeah, too good to go down. They said that about Man City once and they went down. So, you know, (laughs) be careful, be careful. (laughs) There were two managerial debuts in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, Steven Gerrard won his first game as Aston Villa manager, beating Brighton 2-0 and ending a run of five straight defeats for Villa. I saw him on the touchline, Matt, in his claret and blue tie and his his lovely suit with the Aston Villa badge on it. And I thought, this appointment seems like a very good fit for for Villa and for Gerrard at the moment. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They're in... in they're in similar territory of his managerial career being you know, a good young up-and-comer, a very talented manager who's proven himself at a lower level um, in, in the Scottish Premier League and is now taking a big step up. And can he sort of guide Villa into the, the top six race, I'd say? It, it sounds completely like what Aston Villa are doing, getting yeah. some good players together, Seeing if they can push themselves and improve and get back to challenging, you know, in the top, in the top six, they they just sort of go hand in hand in terms of Gerard's career trajectory and Aston Villa's as well. Mm. Um, And I can see it working out really, really well. The only, the only slight sort of problem to it is, is it already looks like there's a predestined move for Gerard to join Liverpool, Mm. and that sort of puts an end date on the Villa sort of experiment. Like everybody knows. This is the 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 two or three year audition this is can Gerard Hackett in the Premier League and if he can he's off to Liverpool yeah, um, but I guess maybe maybe they're ready to worry about it just now and sort of you know enjoy what I think is going to be a pretty good rest of the season
0: for yeah I mean he won't get that Liverpool job unless he's done a good job with Villa has it so it's, yeah. it's still kind of good news for Villa but, but yeah, yeah, yeah I get what you mean I mean he's a man he, he was born to be a footballer and now he's born to be a football manager I was just, about, I was just about to say Stan
1: I can't put my finger on it but he just looks like a manager yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: whereas Frank Lampard doesn't yeah that's just, true you know, yeah I really. know, he just really looks like a manager <laughs> and yeah it's uh, it's a perfect fit for them yeah, yeah. Think,
0: he described Villa as an iconic club in his program notes before the game do you think? they're an iconic club, Alex?
1: Yeah, I'd go along with that. Yeah. They're one of the founders of the Football League. They're one of the founders of the Premier League. They've won a European Cup. Villa Park's probably one of the best stadiums in the Premier mm. League. The atmosphere is always very good. Yeah, I mean, I guess they've hit hard times relatively recently, but yeah, they're, de- they're definitely one of the biggest clubs in England, for sure. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go along with
0: that. How? Uh, where would you rank them on the list of biggest clubs in um,
1: England?
0: Are they bigger than Man City? I would say they are. You can say they are, I'm not going to be offended. I think
1: I think they probably are, but I'd put them, mm, I don't know, I'd put them top six, I think, in terms of like historically where they mm. sit in the firmament of English football. Yeah, I think they've they've won the
0: European team. Cup, which Man City haven't, so I'll... Exactly,
1: I think they're a big club, but yeah, like we were just saying there, it, just, it seems like a really good fit, really good appointment. He says all the right things, the players are just sort of going to... They're just going to look up to him straight away, aren't they? There's no, there's no buying into his ideas because he, you know, he is Steven Gerrard, so that's not going to be an issue. And Brighton, are, as we've seen this season, they're a really good team. So, and, and Phil, uh, it took them a while to get that goal. They, yeah, they look good. So, mm. no, I think this is a great point. We're not be honest.
0: Yeah, Brighton are a really good team, but that's now seven games without a win for them, which is uh, they've, they've sort of quietly hit a hit a bit of a slump. Um, at what point do we do we put Graham Potter into fraud territory, Matt? Think. <laughs> Ooh,
2: you're running the Brendan Rodgers fraudometer on Potter. Um, it, it, it's a difficult one because I think with Brighton's, with their budget and the, the size of the clubs that they're up against and their players, anything, as long as they're not in a relegation scrap, I think they can be happy with basically where they are and where Potter's taking them. It would be astonishing if. If if Brighton were to get rid of Potter and say you know what this isn't good enough we need to be fighting top ten we need to be pushing you know the, the Europa Conference leagues I think that's maybe being a bit too ambitious um, for who Brighton are. So, Yeah, I know that they're on obviously a terrible run of seven win seven games without a win. As long as they're not towards the end of the season absolutely scrapping for, for survival, I don't really think you can call them a forward. I really, yeah. I. I read that he that was his hundredth game in the Premier League mm. for Brighton, which is a, pr- a pretty good job. You just kind of wonder where, where, could, where could they realistically be, right? Brighton, where do you think with the squad and the team that they've got?
0: Yeah, it's probably about right. I, I think the thing that exactly. I'm getting at with, with Potter is that you're just seeing linked with all the big jobs all the time and I'm a bit like, Is he is he mm. is he that manager yet? Have have we actually decided that he's definitely that good? I'm not I'm I'm on the fence yeah. about it. person. I, th- I
2: think he's a good manager and I think when you get given the time at Brighton, like if Brighton say, Look, as long as you're never in the drop zone, right, continue to develop, do better, yeah, that's absolutely fine. You get the time which you wouldn't with the top side, but I just mm. can't see when you look at the clubs who are at the top of the table, all the way down to about eighth or ninth, like, yeah, if he's going to overtake any of them in a in a long-standing way, you know, not just the odd season, unless he does that, he's never going, they're never going to be top. And I think it would be a bit harsh to call them a yeah, forward, but
0: fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, we'll keep an I've, eye on that one.
1: Uh, <laughs> I've made my thoughts on Graham Potter clear. I think he's the next England manager, and I think he'd be a very good yeah. Leader. But that's that's, he's, that's he's, I do. It.
0: That's a bit of a... Go on. That's not a big job anymore, though, is it? I don't think.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, elsewhere, Dean Smith's first game in charge of Norwich finished with them coming from behind to beat Southampton. Uh, before this game, Norwich had taken zero points from a possible 108 in the last 36 Premier League matches they'd fallen behind in. So, uh, instant results from Smith there. Do you think appointing him was the wise choice for them, Alex? And do you think he can he can keep Norwich up?
1: Um... Well, second question first. Uh, no, I don't think he is going to keep them in the Premier League. Mm. But I don't think Jürgen Klopp would keep Norwich in the Premier League this season, to be perfectly honest. So I think Norwich sort of know that. Um, I think they know that this, is, this season is probably yeah done and they're going back to the championship. And with that in mind... Dean Smith is the obvious number one choice. I think he did a really good job at Villa. You know, sort of, they went down, but he got them back into the Premier League. They stayed up. They had a a pretty good season. Obviously, they didn't kick on. They spent all that money this season. But, um, yeah, I think he's a really good manager. And, I don't know, just the pieces just fell into place very quickly, didn't they? And it's sort of, it was a sensible thing to do straight away. Yeah, I don't, Lampard being linked with the Norwich job was mm. very odd and I don't see how that would have worked. But yeah, Dean Smith was just the clear number one choice and I think he's the right manager for them. I think they'll go down, but I think, yeah, like I said, just, I think they're just one of the three worst squads in the league and that's mm. fair, but I think next season, Dean Smith will probably get them back into the Premier League. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he's, uh, yeah, I think he's a good manager and he's a good choice for them.
0: Yep. Uh, the only thing I have to say about Southampton was uh, Ralph Hasnett was wearing a three-piece suit for this game. What's he up to there, Matt? Do you think he was? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 going to be coming out with a monocle and a penny farthing next week, isn't he? If, if this week?
2: <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you asked me because I, I was the well-known style guy around the office. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't wear three-piece suits to work or for the podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I think he's trying to maybe re- he's gone for a rebranding of his image. He doesn't want to be seen as the B Tech with the hat and the tracksuit. Mm. And you know, the beard, so maybe, yeah, 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 he doesn't want to be seen as, yeah, the, the poor man's clop. So maybe Diet he's just going, it, going for his own thing, maybe he's angling for a brand deal. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Here's a question for you then What what would you wear if you were a manager
2: on the touchline? Oh, line? that's a good one. I actually think I would like to go smart, maybe not yeah. three piece suit smart, but you know, the, I, th- I think you, you got to kind of convey that you're the boss, otherwise. I don't know. You just—you don't <laughs> want to look like one of the boys, do you? You don't want to look like one of the players. You're supposed to be in charge.
0: Yeah, I could imagine you going to full Tony Pulis, Alex. Is that right?
1: Uh, no, I, I think I'd be so. I'm not having, and I'm also not having this sort of Bundesliga jeans and trainers.
0: Yeah. That's absolutely. Oh, crazy. yeah, I am not having that. <laughs> Couldn't after. take that seriously. Who started, was it Guardiola who started that? I feel like he you might know, have started a, that,
1: yeah. Maybe, but every, literally every coach in the Bundesliga now wears jeans and jeans. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> yeah, I can't have, I can't have it, I'm afraid.
0: Well the maddest thing about Hasenhurtel's thing was that he was wearing a three piece suit and then like hiking trainers at the bottom, <laughs> like he's not even like consistent with it if he's wearing, if he's going full smart, but he's like I don't know, he looks like he's sort of you know when he's uh people who uh, cycle to work or something and they wear like half and <laughs> yeah. half and he's, he look, he's got like, his Brompton in there yeah yeah, exactly, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh, there should have been three managerial debuts this week but Eddie Howe missed his first game in charge of Newcastle due to Covid I think that's probably the most Newcastle thing that's ever happened and, and there's a pretty long list um, It finished 3-3 against Brentford that game Newcastle are bottom of the league with the joint worst defensive record with Norwich it looks like the entertainment is back at St James's Park but do you think Howe is the right manager for a relegation dogfight Alex?
1: Uh, my immediate reaction to that would be no, um, but it, is, it will be fascinating to watch it, actually, from afar. I think the new owners very, sort of very publicly went for Emery, didn't they? And he turned them down, and although I appreciate the situation the, the, slightly different, like, we saw what happened with Spurs when they sort of went for every manager under the sun and eventually mm. put in Nuno. Like, his authority was immediately called into question. The players sort of never took to him. And, yeah, we know how that ended. I, although the situation isn't quite so severe here, I I'm just, I don't know, I'm not confident that they've got a good enough squad and I'm not really that confident in his coaching ability to keep them up. And then where does that leave how on the come the end of the season. Are they gonna want to have a championship club? I don't think they are. Um, how is sort of a sort of you know big systems philosophy manager? Mm. That's a huge job. They're obviously gonna have a big sort of overhaul in the squad in January. I don't know, it just it doesn't add up for me, to be honest. And I think, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if they go down at the end of the season. Yeah. Although I like Eddie Howe and he says all the right things and he seems like a very nice guy and I think he'd be a good manager and he'd be like a good Brighton manager, for instance. I think that's just his sort of level, but as I know. This Newcastle job is just a very specific one, and I don't think I don't think how is that the man for that job? To be honest,
0: yeah, I do. I do wonder whether someone who who was a bit more of a firefighter might have been the right appointment in the in the short term, and then yeah. they can they can go for a, a systems manager later in the in the day when they the re- yeah, the, really the Premier League status is a little bit more secure. But I mean, who do you get? Sam Allardyce? <laughs> wow, <Well, yeah, laughs> I don't exactly. think that, I don't yeah. think that would be uh, that that would sort of uh, send out the right message, would it, at this point in the in the project? So uh, yeah, uh, Ryan Fraser came off the bench and set up the equalising goal for Alan saint Uh Howe has, of course, worked with Fraser previously at Bournemouth. I thought he was a good signing for Newcastle when he went there, but it's not really worked out so far. Do you think he might kick-start his, his Newcastle career? Eddie Howe, Matt?
2: Um, yeah, you'd think so, because he had that brilliant season, didn't he, when I think he was the top assister in the Premier League under mm. Howe. But I seem to remember there being a bit of an argument in his last year after he publicly said, I'm not signing your contract, and yeah. leaving at the end of the year. And that season didn't go so well. Um, but on paper, I don't see why he wouldn't be the perfect partner to Saint Maximan behind you know, Callum Wilson and Joel Linton to have two very quick, very direct players on either wing. It sounds good on paper. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether Fraser's really cut out to be that kind of guy, um, th- that kind of level of, of performance that Maximan's at. Maybe how can get him back to, to his best, but like you said, there isn't really promising signs from him. Um, from the How long has he been at Newcastle now? A year and a half? I yeah, think. I think
0: so, yeah. So, yeah, it would be some turnaround. Yeah. I, I was thinking while watching this game that whoever Newcastle sign in the future, they've got to make sure that Alan St-Maximan is part of the, the club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah a, he's a hero.
1: Did you see after the game, he gave his um, like 30 grand watch to a fan yeah. outside the stadium? Yeah. Which, yeah, I love. he's, a, he's <laughs> like a top bloke, do not he? Yeah. Wow, there you go. <laughs>
0: what did you think of the uh, Ivan-Tony revenge narrative around this game, Alex? Was it a, a bit kind of self-aggrandising on his part, him yeah. kissing the Bournemouth badge? I know he was at Newcastle and didn't really get a chance, but it seemed a bit like, well, there's no bad blood there, is there really? Yeah, it
1: was, it was a very strange one, wasn't it? I think yeah. he played... If I, I think he played like two games in three years, if yeah. I remember, right? So, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work out, does it? Yeah. You know, you, or you're just you're a bit young, you're not quite good enough, you know. Whatever, it just happens. So, I don't know to go back there and then kiss the badge was just it was slightly odd and a bit jarring, yeah. but but I will say it was a really good finish. Um, and I read an interview with him afterwards that said he'd. Um, him and the, him and one of the coaches had looked at like what Carl Darlow, the goalkeeper, does in those sort of situations, and yeah, he said that he's not very good down low to his right. So, yeah, it's just further proof to me that he's a brilliant striker. He's good enough for the Premier League and dark horse for an England call up next year. Mm. I'm going to say it now. So yeah, I think he's. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was surprised to learn that he's twenty six. I thought yeah, he was younger yeah, than that. He's, yeah,
1: yeah, he's, he's sort of been around, been around the block for a long time. Played mm. a lot in the football league, and um, yeah, I think he's super, really, really good Premier League striker.
0: Agreed. Yeah, uh, the other three-three draw on Saturday took place at Turf Moor between Burnley and Crystal Palace. Matt, we're going to talk about that goal now—the brilliant strike from Maxwell yeah. Cornet. Um, do you think he could be one of those Premier League players who, who comes along every once in a while and only scores bangers? I'm thinking Amezaki, Pedro Mendes, Brian Ruiz. <laughs> Any more spring to mind? Pedro Mendes. Matthew yeah, Taylor. So
2: score some cra- yeah,
1: bloody hell. Yeah. Went to You're reeling them off. The only famous person from my school, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, okay. wow. And you. <laughs> Don't put yourself down, Alex. <laughs>
1: yeah. I didn't score bangers like that, man, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> oh, what a goal. I was honestly, you should have seen my face watching the match of the day. Just could not believe it. What a strike. Maybe, maybe you will be one of those who just has that back catalogue of absolute stunners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think we we mentioned it before in the season. He could be that little bit of a difference maker for Burnley. Like I can't think of a Burnley player who could pull that out the bag in recent yeah. seasons. Um, you know, not since uh, not since. Oh god, were they Robbie Blake? would they have someone who could hit a ball so well? Um, yeah, that was that was a great goal. And I really I, I read that he's the first Burnley player ever to score five goals in his first six Premier League. Oh stars. really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely hit the ground running. It's not quite a Burnley signing, but he he could be the difference.
0: Yeah, it's that kind of goal. Um, your sort of like dream goal. If you could score a Premier League goal, would it be like yeah. that? Do you reckon? Volley. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! On the full, the way it hits the back of the net and the keeper's side,
0: it's just absolute power. It's brilliant. Same for you, Alex.
1: Um, I like a half volley sort of mm. comes out from the edge of the area and then you just Ooh. hit it sweetly past the goalkeeper that'd be mine, mine yeah. I think. I'm thinking um, Tom Huddleston against Man City oh
2: yes yeah. oh my <laughs> word that is one of the greatest yeah. goals to ever be scored edge at City <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's
0: what I'm thinking <laughs> I think I I love uh, a goal that goes in off the crossbar more than anything, mm. Mm, yeah. especially if it just kind of kisses the crossbar on the way in. That's yeah. always that was always a lovely one. I'm thinking sort of <laughs> Tony Yeboah for Leeds back in the day. Yeah. That was a oh, big one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah uh, Christian Benteke scored twice for Palace here. He's got a few bangers in his his back catalogue as well. Yeah, um, sure. Could you see him him having a bit of a career revival under Vieira, Alex? Um,
1: I mean, it's certainly not something I saw coming. But yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean. They were two really nice finishes as well, actually. The first one was sort of the box was crowded, wasn't it? And it sort of went between a few pairs of legs. And, and then the second one, well, the second one was made by Conor Gallagher. And, I, and like, I think that's something that may help him, actually, is sort of rise from midfield, like going beyond him to stretch defenders, and then he can just sort of get the scraps after that. Mm-hmm. That's not something that happened a lot under Hodgson. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was sort of more crosses into the box, really. And I know, you know, he's a big man and you would think that he'd probably score a few headers. He doesn't really score that many headers. So, yeah, getting those sort of scraps after a common Gallagher surge, I think, will uh, yeah, will help in the season. So, yeah, Indeed. why not?
0: Yeah, and finally, we come to Molyneux and a 1-0 win for Wolves over West Ham that by this weekend standard was, was pretty boring, really. Um, but that's three successive top-flight home victories for Wolves for the first time since 1980. Uh, Bruno Lard should be pretty pleased with that, shouldn't he, Matt?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Considering they had quite a poor start to the season, mm. Um, Wolves that's really good against like we mentioned that West Ham team I I think they would be absolutely delighted with it and I think from now on I'll just always smile when Jimenez scores I just always think good on you mate like after you know after that injury at Arsenal I always just think he's such a fantastic player and it just goes to show how important he was for Wolves you know without him Nuno even saw you know what this isn't really working out Um, but now that he's back in the team scoring goals is brilliant yeah. absolutely brilliant
0: player there's a very good documentary on the BBC about that actually for those who have access yeah, code to it red uh, or yeah exactly right? yeah sort of yeah. talks about how how close he came to dying basically and how, how his recovery has been since then and how traumatic it was for everyone there uh, the maddest mm. thing about that head injury that I'd forgotten was that they won the game after that they won 2-1 at Arsenal Oh, also, get yeah. It, yeah. It. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some talk that Jesse Lingard wants to go back to West Ham in January. Do you think he could be the difference, Alex, between them qualifying for a European spot and, and not this season, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could sort of see he is definitely what they missed at the weekend, wasn't he? The sort of, I don't know, his sort of like precision running, I guess, and mm. you know how he can just like take the ball like upfield at pace was definitely something that they missed I think it with the Wolves, it was definitely the Wolves game last season where Lingard sort of ran from the halfway line beat three people and then scored yeah. he, the he scored Wolves.
0: two good goals in that game if I remember yeah and I yeah,
1: think yeah. that was when I, I think everyone was thinking oh this isn't a fluke he just needs games yeah. so I think yeah if he went back to West Ham, you could definitely see him repeating it and, um, yeah I think 10 million is what, sort of what I read I think that would be a brilliant sign
0: it's a virtual free transfer in this market yeah, right? I think, yeah, yeah
1: exactly Yeah. so no I think <laughs> It sort of suits all pies, is not it? Really, I'm going there for Definitely, that yeah. money. So yeah, let's, let's
0: see. In January. Yep. Uh, well, that will do us for this week. Thanks to Matt and Alex for joining me, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back again next week to discuss Chelsea versus Manchester United and all the other big Premier League talking points. So we'll see you then.